0: This week on LTE, the podcast brought to you by the Registered Guard Opinion Page. I'm your host, Brendan O'Mara. How's it going? Hanging in there, all right? Things are weird, but it's all right. We're flattening this thing. I mean, not technically yet. We're still number one. But staying home is working. I've read some stories that this distancing thing, it's working. We just have to stick with it. It's going to be a slog, baby. But that's all right. We have podcasts to listen to. If you like those, and I've got one today, or this week, with Ali Reyes-Santos, who's an educator over at the University of Oregon, uh, Ethnic Studies. And uh, she's brilliant, and this is the first time she's been on the show, so this will be a lot of fun for you guys to get to hear her voice. You've read her voice. Now you're going to hear her voice. Remember you can subscribe to the show Wherever you get your podcasts Hopefully soon we're working out the RSS issues Uh, Be sure to submit letters to the editor If you would like By no means uh, means we're going to publish them But the more the merrier RG letters at RegisterGuard.com Guest views can be emailed to me Just go to the website Is that it? I'm thinking that's it. You can also follow the Instagram page at registerguard_opinion. underscore opinion. Little pull quotes, sometimes some audiograms. In any case, I'm done talking for now. Because I feel like being done talking. Because you're going to hear me talking with a lie right... right now. how you came to arrive at UO and... and and, um, and study, study what you study?
1: Oh, that's a great question. So um, that was in 2005. I moved to Eugene, Oregon, and I moved here on a dissertation fellowship. I was finishing my PhD at UC San Diego. Um, and at that time, I actually didn't think I would go into academia becoming a professor, to be honest with you. Um, I was thinking more of doing community engagement work, um, union organizing, potentially working with labor. But it so happened that I finished my PhD and a position open at the university here, and I had had the luxury of working with a few of my colleagues, Michael James garcia Lynn Fujiwara, Ernesto Martinez, on a few projects during my time here. And I just got really excited teaching for ethnic studies here at U of Oregon. And I think that's because there's a way in which, at the time, there were only just a few people teaching ethnic studies at the university, students were so thirsty to talk about um, thinking about race and gender and class and how that impacts their everyday lives and thinking about what kind of research people do that can speak to those questions that they already have about those themes. So the students thirst for that knowledge really got me to say, okay, I think this is the job for me. And I've been a professor at University of Oregon in ethnic studies for 14 years right now. Mm. It's kind of amazing how quickly time has gone by. Yeah. But that is that basically what's kept me motivated. Students' interest, engagement, and the alum are amazing. I still keep in touch with many of them. They do wonderful things all over the state and the U.S. with the training that we give them. Um, so it just keeps me going and really inspired.
0: Mm. So... Uh, going back a little bit you you said that you know you were thinking you were going to something that had to do with you know uh, labor relations and and stuff of that nature. Um, what was the kernel or the inspiration behind uh, behind that? Um, you know before you made the pivot to where you are now, like what was that kernel of inspiration?
1: Well, you know, before I came to Eugene, I had been um, doing different kinds of community engaged work in San Diego. some of the work I have been doing have had been about supporting labor organizing at the university, supporting employees uh, to have healthcare benefits, um, in particular healthcare at the time. And also we had done a lot of work at the time around access to higher education, making higher education affordable for people. Uh, Higher education has been so cut. Uh, Our budgets have been cut all over the U.S. for the past 20, 30 years in such drastic ways that it makes it really hard for students who don't have money to pay to go to to college to be able to go there. So at that time, I was doing a lot of work with students and also with a lot of the staff at at the UC system to basically get universities on board with providing education that was affordable. And, you know, we gained a few things, we lost a lot, and we're still in that battle for making higher education accessible. And the labor sector became so important in the way that all those staff uh, supported students in that struggle, uh, that then students also began to learn about what was happening in the, in the labor sector, and we began to support them as well. So it was a really beautiful kind of coalition building between those sectors, and it taught me a lot about community building and solidarity. And so that's that's the kind of work I was doing there, and somehow when I came here, it translated into this, uh, this job, teaching for ethnic studies.
0: <laughs> mm. And given that Oregon itself kind of has a – Checkered history and t- with respect to Native peoples and people of color, and that, and I wonder, like, if being a professor and a scholar in ethnic studies, if, um, if this is a good place for you to like set those roots and give that education, given that this, the the backdrop of, of of Oregon, it has a has a kind of a a, a conflicted past with uh, with people of color. I wonder if you could speak to that at all.
1: Definitely. I mean, to be honest with you, it is a place where talking about racial politics is a real challenge, right? Um, I think, you know, I had a lot of people tell me, you're going to Oregon? Like, really, you're going to live there? Uh, Because they said, you know, we know about the history of Oregon, we know about the KKK, we know about the exclusion laws against black people and Chinese people. We know about, um, you know, the tribes and the fact that many of them were actually dismantled in the mid-20th century. So people were asking you like, what What are you thinking? What are you doing? And going to that context, um, you know, neo-Nazi presence as well. And uh, I have to say that part of what was exciting about it, um, even though sometimes it is still it is hard sometimes, you know, because those are realities that we continue to live today, is that it's like... A fertile ground to actually have hard conversations with people, to teach people about the history of Oregon as it relates to the rest of the country and also to the continent. Uh, people are actually, many people are very excited to learn about those histories and to do things differently. Um, and I think that in a way that really harsh history then makes it a place for somebody like me with the training I have on racial justice to then make a difference, to actually see things happening as we continue to educate people around these issues, you know, whether in the classroom, out of the classroom, in workshops in the community, through films, through op-eds. There's, you know, the kind of email response I get to the op-eds is beautiful. People have been really excited about the things that I share and then that they're trying to change also how they interact in the world because of it. So that that really is inspiring for me here.
0: And as an educator, what do you find is the the best way that you or the best tools at your disposal that really you know hammer a lesson home and get you know engage your engage your classroom? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, I think the first one is um, an openness to conversation. You know, I always. You know, when when I'm in the classroom or if I'm doing, for example, a workshop for a nonprofit or government, um, I always tell people that I'm not there to brainwash them into my way of thinking about the world. Uh, That is not my goal ever. That would actually be kind of boring to have people just repeating what I say, Uh, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, I do feel like that that the best tool that we have to have these conversations about uh, race, for example, uh, it would be to always be open to the dialogue and to, and to have the, a dialogue that's based on facts. You know, for me, it's really, really important to have evidence, to have good readings for people or good statistics or good stories that I can share with people, That things that they can go at home and also read or watch on their own and think through on, by themselves and have a moment to come up with their own conclusions, too, when they see the material. But having those facts presented to them in a way that's accessible for them and then opening the space to have a conversation about those facts, uh, that is not about me just trying to kind of convert people, quote-unquote, into my way of thinking, but rather into allowing people to have the tools to come up with their own conclusions about what it looks like to have real racial justice and economic justice and gender justice and environmental justice. Like, I do feel, I really do believe that, Inside all of us, we know what's just and it's just a matter of having the tools to get to that place of what is just uh, that makes sense to us as well.
0: I think that's a, a great topic to pivot to the last piece that you wrote uh, about the coronavirus and how it uh, probably disproportionately affects uh, the people who are living in poverty, people of color. And I was wondering if you can speak to the the inspiration behind that piece, which I have to say, uh, having read uh, several of your columns, like this one, to me was was uh, was your best one, uh, you know, you're the best piece you've submitted to to me at least, and I loved it, and it was certainly, uh, you know, it was worth uh, worth the Sunday billing. It was an excellent piece. So, what was the inspiration behind it?
1: Well, you know, I think for me it was just as simple as going to the grocery store and seeing people so scared and so concerned. And right behind me, there's a woman, and she has a little shopping cart. And as other people have like so many things on their cart, she has five things, five items. Um, And you know, people start to talk in the line and have a conversation and she shares that she just lost her job and she has the whole family at home waiting for her. Mm. And this is the last paycheck she had and she doesn't know how she's going to feed her family. Um, then um, I start to talk with other people, with a bunch of people of color and migrants in town. And talking to me about going to stores, pharmacies, and having people being violent with them, resentful with them. Like, what are you doing here? Suddenly, like, all these biases, like racist biases kicking in. Jeez, yeah. And it's like, you know, who gets the little resources we have? And who's not supposed to get them? Like, those things kicking in. Um, Also the sense of isolation, you know, like watching at times my elderly neighbors so isolated and alone uh, for weeks, right? And like starting to worry about what if they get sick and they don't know that they can ask for help from us because of social distancing. Um, So, you know, then beginning to develop a system to communicate with my neighbors that keeps them safe. But also we get to know, you know, do they need food? Do they need support? But thinking, wow, so many people out there may be alone sick. You know, are we going to let people die alone at home because they don't have family or community or resources to get what they need? So all of that is what motivated that piece. And and also my colleague, Michael Hames, shared with me a piece about prisons and what's happening in prisons. My colleague, Melissa um, Hoffner at PSU, shared with me a piece about unhoused people. And I just began to, like, go all over town and see, wow, like, this epidemic will affect those who are already vulnerable even more. So I just felt like I had to write something immediately, and that's how that piece came up.
0: Yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful piece, and I and I can't wait to you know link up to it. So if people already haven't read it already, it's it's as timely as it was when you wrote it. I think it's a couple of weeks old, but it's every bit as timely now, and it will continue to be so. Um, so I'll be sure to link that up, of course. Um, lastly, uh, Ali, how you know, in terms of your your thoughts and your and your process around how you're formulating what you want to write about, like what are your what are you thinking of next? What's your ambition as a, as a community columnist? What do you want to keep talking about?
1: Well, uh, to be honest with you, uh, right now, all that's unfolding with uh, the coronavirus and how that impacts vulnerable communities gives me inspired. I already began to draft the piece for this month, uh, for April. And in that one, I'm talking about the executive order um, around social distancing and also price gouging. You know, in a way, like the state is responding to these questions of food prices, um, caring for people while we keep social distancing. You know, it's been really great to see all of that. I've been to NWCP where they're giving food to people once or twice a week with Food for Lane County. Um, I've been talking with people from the city of Eugene and all the things they're doing to help employers keep people for longer in their jobs by supplementing income and salary. And so I feel like in, in a way I'm being inspired right now by some of the issues that continue to impact our communities and especially the more vulnerable people. And also I'm inspired right now by all the amazing ways in which our communities are responding to this crisis and are also trying to attend to vulnerable communities um there's now washing stations you know and bathrooms being put all over Eugene for people who don't have access to bathrooms at work or because they live on the streets right so there's like all these things that are happening that are keeping me motivated I have a feeling that I have a few more updates that will be engaging what's happening right now
0: mm. well that's great well this was wonderful to get to talk to you and unpack uh, you know sort of what's on your mind and how you go about uh you know uh Sort of digging into the into these columns. So, Alai uh, thank you so much for, you know, hopping on the show and uh, and edu- and educating me and entertaining me and uh, by extension the listeners So, thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks so much for having Brendan.